Welcome to the ANA Center for Brand Purpose podcast with your host, Ken Bollier. Joining me today is Ann Barr Thompson, author of the new book, Do Good, Embracing Brand Citizenship to Fuel Both Purpose and Profit. Ann, welcome. Thanks, Ken. Nice to be here. Thanks. Your book is fantastic. Oh, thank absolutely, you. I like to hear that, of course. <laughs> absolutely inspiring with lots of great examples and advice. But what I especially loved about the book is that it really gets at the sort of the heart of what being a purposeful brand is all about. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I really, really want to start our conversation today. There's this definite lack of consensus out in the marketplace about what brand purpose means. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious how you define brand purpose and how it differs from, let's say, corporate social responsibility, philanthropy, et cetera, things of that okay. nature. So purpose is exactly what the word means. Mm -hmm. Purpose is the reason a business exists at its highest level. It tells the story of how a company interacts through the products and services it offers um, its customers, how it behaves with its employees, and how it creates societal value. I like to think of purpose in as, as an embodiment of a brand's ethos. Mm -hmm. But it's a statement. It's a raison d'etre. In many ways, purpose is a reframed sense of corporate vision from the days of corporate identity around the turn of the millennium, when you always said a brand had a higher reason for existing, that was a 360-degree proposition. Right. When I think of philanthropy or social responsibility, to me, they're the ways a company brings its purpose to life. They're mm -hmm. tools you have mm -hmm. to make this real and not just words on a page. Uh, some people often think of purpose as corporate values, and values are beliefs that guide behaviors. So they're different as well, but they too stem from a purpose. Mm -hmm. So purpose is the ultimate guiding principle. It's the, the strategic reason in its largest way that you exist. Mm -hmm. Why do you think there's been such a groundswell for brand purpose among businesses of all sizes? What's sort of contributing to that? Well, there's a multitude of factors contributing to it now. What's interesting is a lot of people think the trigger has been the UN SDGs, uh, political bipartisanship. And all those reasons are why there's a groundswell at the moment, and I'll jump back to them sure. uh, in a second. But what's important is the notion of purpose and having a more human, a more um, kind face to business actually started emerging earlier. I started seeing these trends in the late 90s and around the turn of the millennium when technology was really kicking in and productivity was really on its high. You know, people started walking around with uh, blackberries at the time, uh, Palm had a Palm 7 with a little antenna, and that's when we really started seeing people tell us, whether it was people on ground or CIOs, that they really wanted brands to start having a human face, and they wanted business to start embracing humanity. So in many ways, what's happened is not as new as people think it is. It's just been on an accelerating pathway as a result of the Great Recession in 2008, and then the strong political bipartisanship we see going on, not only in the U.S., but in many countries globally. Currently now, there's purpose is coming at companies from uh, many different angles. First is clearly people. And I like to think of consumers as people, because when we think of them as consumers, we forget that we too buy, our neighbors buy, all these people are sure. our customers. And even in a B2B space, it's people. So people 
are demanding that business behave better because they've lost their faith in government and they believe business can behave in a better manner than government and has a responsibility. And if you start with this notion of consumers, Peter Drucker said, the purpose of a business is to create a customer. And he also said, uh, business is an organ of society and society entrusts its resources onto a business. So it's no surprise that people are asking business to step in. So we have people both as consumers and then as employees. People want to work for companies that they're proud to work for. Where you work is a badge. It says something about you. So people want to work for a company that's good. So we have that one piece, people. On the other side, we also have investors now. The UN has both the uh, global compact for the SDGs, which businesses themselves mm -hmm. have signed on. And actually, that's a point of pressure, which I'll get to in a moment. And then they have the PRI, which is Principles for Responsible Investing, that most of the large investment managers have signed. And these have, this, the PRI has to do with ESG investing, so environment, social, and governance. Right. So as more and more investment managers are paying attention to this, more and more investors are starting to see that businesses that embrace a long-term focus actually perform better. McKinsey has studies out there that say it. BCG has a study, EY. There's numerous companies that show businesses that focus on the long-term which ESG is a part of, perform better than businesses that focus solely on a shareholder orientation rather than stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So we have people, we have investors, and then I would say we do have the businesses themselves. As I mentioned, many businesses have signed up, and it was an over 9,000 at one point to the Global Compact, but unfortunately there's some reporting requirements to stay a part of the global compact, and some small and mid-sized companies have dropped off. Mm -hmm. But as more and more businesses sign up and set out to achieve and help us accomplish the SDGs by 2030 to ensure the planet survives, business puts pressure on itself. So I think there's a confluence of events that have come into play now, but in reality, this started almost 20, if not 25 years ago. Sure, sure. So your book focuses on the concept of brand citizenship. So how do you define brand citizenship, and does it differ at all from your definition of brand purpose? Um, yes. Uh, brand citizenship begins with a meaningful purpose. Uh, brand citizenship is an ethos. It's a way of doing business. Mm -hmm. So it's part of your tool bag. Um, it's a five-step model, technically, that aligns purpose and profit holistically across a business. What's really important is that these five steps are not something I created in an incubator, in a boardroom, or even in a classroom. These five steps emerged from the grassroots up, from research that was actually initially intended for something completely different. And over three years, I sussed out what was going on with brand leadership, favorite brands, and good corporate citizenship, and five steps emerged. And what we found through this course of three to four years of research was that people were looking for brands um, that they buy to solve their personal me problems through the products and services they sell, as well as their wider we concerns about the environment, the economy, and social issues. And the five steps span across that my personal problems to the world's problems, but you have to do it from an overarching unifying purpose. Mm -hmm. Which, so that begs the question, there are a lot of purposeful brands out there, right? Mm -hmm. So what is the difference between, let's say, an Apple and a Nike and a Patagonia and a Tom's, for example? Okay. Um, you know, how do they differ on this or the brand purpose continuum? 
So, so we'll, I'll place them on the continuum. And Apple's a really interesting example because Apple was one of the things that came up in the very initial research that um, inspired me to look further. When we were doing research at the end of 2011 and asked people what brands they thought were, were good corporate citizens, Apple came up. Now, we expected Apple to be a, a leadership brand, but we did not expect Apple to be considered a good corporate citizen especially because at the time they were in the middle of a chip crisis. When we asked people why they chose Apple, it was because Apple inspires my life by bringing joy into it 24-7 with music. Apple changes the way I communicate. And that's an example of step two enrichment. So let me put step two in context. Step one is trust. Step two is enrichment. So Apple is a brand that enriches people's lives. Nike is also a brand that enriches people's lives, so they fall under step two. When we go to step three, which is responsibility, in my re three to four years of research, Patagonia fell under responsibility, and that's brands that behave fairly. So they, they are trusted, they help people's lives, and they behave fairly. Um, Patagonia also embraces elements of community and contribution, which are the other two steps. But people categorized it strategically as a brand that was responsible. Um, I would love to be able to go out there today and rank some of these brands again against the attributes because I actually suspect, given Patagonia's push on activism, whether it's the environment, voting, or whatever, they might now be considered a brand of contribution, mm -hmm. which is step five, which is where I would place Tom's. Mm -hmm. Brands that contribute make people feel bigger than they are through buying them. So people don't tend to buy Tom's shoes because they love the shoes. They tend to buy Tom's shoes because they like the shoes and they love the fact that they are giving a pair of shoes to someone somewhere else. So your book makes clear that it's really important for the CEO to drive momentum internally for purpose. Why is that? And um, what role does, does marketing and the CMO play in all of this too? Okay. So I would say, like the brand itself, um, purpose is something to be owned, not delegated. Mm -hmm. And it's a, if it's the reason a business exists, it's the starting point for all strategic decisions. So naturally, if the starting point for all strategic decisions needs to be owned by somebody, it has to be owned by the CEO. And in the same way Apple was the example for everything in the 90s, in terms of purpose and CEOs that own purpose, you see how Paul Pullman has completely transformed Unilever because he's on a personal mission to make sure that business embraces the SDGs. Mm -hmm. Other companies are embracing elements of purpose, but it's not necessarily helping the business or felt throughout the business. In the same way black belts were something that GE had when Jack Welch was running it. So, Purpose is something to be owned at the highest strategic level of a business so that the business imbues it in every possible way and people believe their success at their job is dependent on it. Now marketing is an interesting place to look at purpose because in many ways purpose for marketers has been a lot about campaigns but in some organizations actually volunteerism is tying into social mission which is falling under the CMO. So in the same way purpose has many definitions, the role marketing plays in different organizations is very different. Mm -hmm. You know, some marketing still is old sales. So it depends on the organization. Now, however, 
as someone who spent a lot of her career as a global brand strategist, <laughs> I believe marketing is the steward for the brand. So in the same way the CEO owns the brand and should own purpose, marketing should also be the custodian for purpose, not just the brand. Marketing helps to operationalize purpose in its, its biggest face to the outside world. Although purpose has to start first internally, otherwise it's not real to a business, it's not sincere, it's not in the heart of a business. The outward face matters because purpose is a means of getting profit. It's not a sacrifice, it's not a cost of business. Investing into good is actually an investment into the business. So you need to, in an effective manner, not in self-aggrandizing the business, talk to people about it. So marketing needs to be the steward of this and ensure that the way the company communicates and creates a customer experience to the outside world reflects this larger raison d'etre. Well, speaking of marketing, just staying on that topic for a bit, your research you know, has revealed that increased brand promotion and advertising are pushing consumers away from brands. No doubt about that. So how are consumers determining their brand choices then? Okay, so I'm not sure I would necessarily say it's pushing people away. I would say people are just ignoring it. Okay. Um, so, so um, you know, in the era of mass media, you had a lot of uh, impressions out there that weren't reaching the right people. Today, I think even the impressions that are targeted at the right people are not reaching the right people. So when we did our research um, over the three to four year period, we had a combination of qualitative exploratory and quantitative assessments. And the quantitative we repeated, the qualitative was to explore and learn things. And in one of the exploratories, we learned on average that millennials allow 12 brands into their inner circle. We didn't do this research with a wider set, it was just with millennials mm -hmm. um, generationally. But they trusted these 12 brands to do most anything. And they, when we asked them to actually pay attention and track over a two-week period all the brands that interacted with them, they were blown away. And in, in the first like 24 hours, we had emails from so many people. I can't do this. My, my, my journal's filled already. I had no idea I went by these things, that these things came at me. They really just didn't notice them. Mm -hmm. Now, when we dug harder and saw which ones that weren't in their set of preferred brands, of favorite brands, of friendship brands, we found that they were looking for brands to mirror their personal values. And there was a study that I just read today, I can't remember if it was Nielsen, Accenture, there's been a bunch of studies that have come out this week that are all supporting um, with much larger samples. I had a sample of 6,000 over the period, but these are studies with 80,000, 30,000, and they're now coming out with the same results we saw. And one today actually said, people want brands to mirror their personal values. Well, we learned this very early, and I think a lot of people knew this for a long time. So one success criteria would be mirror your personal values. Make your life less complicated. Help me with my daily routines. Deliver what you promise. Consistency. I want to know that they're really going to do what they tell me, because a lot of people don't. Uh, treat me as a friend, not as a consumer. So you know a lot about me. Treat me better. And then make me feel proud. Um, someone actually had a conversation with me. I was doing a lecture at one of the business schools, and someone came up to me afterwards, and I'm not going to say the two brands, but she was talking about two brands she liked. And she said, in this category, I use XYZ because I like people to think of me this way. But I was realizing as you were talking, in this other category, I use blah, blah, blah. And she said, because no one knows I use it, so I can actually do it in a way that's more about price. So their interaction with you in the category actually also dictates 
how you can break through in success. But ultimately, it's about marrying their values, making life less complicated, doing what you say, treating them as a friend, and making them proud. Well, as you relate in your book, and you mentioned briefly, there are five steps that comprise brand citizenship, trust, enrichment, responsibility, community, and contribution. But I have to ask you this whole notion about that you can't own trust. Mm -hmm. No brand can own trust. So I was just hoping that you could provide a little more perspective upon that. Well, in the same way a friend or colleague that you meet, that you interact with, doesn't own trust, a brand can't own trust. You know, a brand has to earn trust. And in many ways, what we found was a new insight because I have a, a pretty strong background from many years ago in loyalty and satisfaction. And you used to say trust was the end game. Reputation management, trust is the end game. We have an erosion of trust, which is why reputation management is so big. What we learned is trust in today's world is the starting point. Think about your friends you go to and rely on. It's the ones you trust the most. So a relationship with a brand is the same. It has to be a starting point for a meaningful relationship. Um, building trust is clearly difficult today. People are cynical. They don't believe your claims. People claim things they don't do. People don't follow through on their promises. Um, and trust is different to everybody. How you define trust is probably different how your wife defines sure. trust. So trust is a really cautious game. But through our research, we uncovered that five characteristics cultivate trust. Clarity, being clear about who you are so people can benchmark you against mm -hmm. this, knowing your purpose, knowing your promise, because people need something to benchmark you against. Being reliable, deliver on your promise every single time. Being sincere, and authenticity is a big word. Well, I learned it back in 2006 when I started millennial research that millennials believe uh, they contrive their authenticity. And we all know when you're on social media, you sort of curate your profile. So you make people believe you're this authentic person that you're not. So sincerity, speaking from the heart, is a much more important thing than authenticity. And millennials love brands with backstories that are based, and actually not just millennials. In my research, it was a lot of people. Sure. Love brands based on backstories that have truth. They don't have to be 100% of the exact story. It could be a little bit crafted. But if it's based in truth and feels sincere to how you behave, they will trust you. So sincerity to me is far more important than authenticity and building trust. Mm -hmm. And then reciprocity, giving to give, not to get. Loyalty programs are not a way of cross-selling. Loyalty programs are a way of rewarding. Think about it, how many really are. Right. And then active listening, actively acting on what you know about people. We have so much information. But again, big data is just used often to cross-sell emails um, or to send emails that are cross-selling products and services, not to offer you some free information about something you like. Sure. And that's what people are expecting. And those last two, give to give and reciprocity and active listening, are really the transition point between being a brand that is trusted to being a brand that enriches someone's life. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about just the importance of putting employees first? And you've said in your book, even before Profit on the Planet. And you know, my question to you, is this like uh, trying to keep millennials happy or does it really extend beyond that? Yeah, it's interesting because everyone easily puts that onto millennials. And I've actually <laughs> done some research in that venue um, for clients, which is proprietary, which I can't share. But I can tell you, it's not just millennials that want to be happy in jo their jobs. And think about it, the industrialists knew this. Happy people are more productive, and they produce higher quality products. 
but in the context of my research, which I think is where you're putting it when you start talking about the planet, treating employees well and fairly emerged as the number one criteria in step three, which is responsibility. Mm -hmm. And step three is the pivot point between being a me brand and a we brand. And it's fascinating because the very first time we did the study in the UK, the environment came up slightly higher than employees in, as a criteria for a business that was responsible. After austerity measures kicked in, it shifted. And the environment dropped and employees jumped up. Or it might not just be austerity measures. It could have been so much green marketing out there. I don't know which it was. But if you think about it for a minute, in the same way people donate to causes closest to home before they span out, employees are the things that are closest to you. And in the beginnings of this research, what we found is people wanted you to take care of your employees, then the community, then your suppliers, then the larger world. It's sort of a, a logical spin outward. And it's not that people want you to put your employees over the environment. What we learned was that you won't get credit for the good you're doing for the environment or for making an ethical supply chain mm -hmm. unless you're treating your employees well and fairly. So it's not sacrificing one for the other. It's just if people perceive you as treating employees poorly, other good you're doing will not help your reputation. It won't help loyalty. It won't help retention. So it won't grow sales and increase profit. Mm -hmm. Would you say that brands get high marks for taking a political stance? Ah, well, that's a complicated one. <laughs> um, and it's something that's a moving target at the moment because what's considered political and what's consider considered social is shifting a little bit at mm -hmm. the moment. So when we first started this research, people told us that brands should not take any political positions other than social justice. Things that had to do with civil rights and social justice were within a brand's purview. And actually, I saw um, some research this morning by the Morning Consult that ranked that as the number one factor of what people want brands to pay attention to. However, as environmental regulations have been turned back in the U.S., the environment's rising to be less of a political issue and more of a social issue for people, mm -hmm. especially as the UN SDGs are being more and more promoted and businesses are signing up and people are seeing this. So civil liberties and the environment are safe territories. But they're safe territories only in the way they tie to what your business is about and what your purpose is. If it's outside of anything to do with what your, your purpose as a business is or how you operationalize this purpose, how you conduct business, people don't want you getting involved. And we saw that very early on in our research. And it's emerging more and more in research that's coming out now. Again, there was a good piece on the morning, from the Morning Consult that actually ranked a whole series of things that came out this morning. An Accenture survey that came out this month also found that 62% of customers want companies to take a stand on current and broadly relevant issues in the same spaces, sustainability, transparency, fair employment practices. And Sprout Social also had a study that said 66% of people want businesses to engage in this. Now, that said, again, you have to remember it has to stem from your overarching reason to exist from your purpose. And I think before you take a stand, you better check your houses and take a stand on something that then people find out you're behaving differently. Right. You will not recover from that. Mm -hmm. So lastly, this is this whole notion, I've certainly heard about it, I'm sure you have in your research as well, that brand purpose you know, is a little more than this warm and fuzzy concept. And you, it doesn't, it can't possibly drive growth. 
And so I just wanted to get your, your feelings about okay. you know, purpose-driving growth and how you can measure the value of purpose. I guess it depends on which of those definitions they're looking at. <laughs> true, true. So um, simply having a purpose clearly won't lead to measurable growth, but the activities one performs as a result of having a purpose will lead to measurable growth. Mm -hmm. And if you tie purpose to long-termism and to more of a stakeholder view of business over a shareholder view of business, mm -hmm. there's been numerous studies that I mentioned earlier have, have shown that McKinsey had a study where they analyzed businesses between 2001 and 2004 and the revenues of companies that took a long-term view cumulatively grew on average 47% more than the revenues mm -hmm. of other firms. So if you tie purpose to a long-term view, 47% increase. Their market crap grew $7 billion more than other firms over that same period, 2001 to 2014. If I'm to be completely transparent, these companies took a bigger hit during the downturn, but they recovered a lot faster. Mm -hmm. So right there and then, you see that purpose can lead to a bottom line, which leads to a higher market cap. A study in 2015 conducted by IO Sustainability and Babson found that effective CSR, and CSR is clearly tied to purpose as well, can increase the market value of a company by 4 to 6%. And over a 15-year period, they found it could increase shareholder value, not stakeholder value, right. but shareholders, right. by $1.28 mm -hmm. So there's a lot of numbers out there. In my book, I illustrate the business case for Vaseline and Andrex, two consumer brands, Vaseline owned by Unilever, Andrex owned by Kimberly-Clark. And Andrex is a fascinating case study, and people in the U.S. may not know Andrex. It's a toilet tissue brand in the in the UK, and it was the number one toilet tissue brand. And when it, it ran a campaign that had to do with saving lives through uh, better hygiene and toiletry mm -hmm. in Angola, and ran special packs, its sales increased. The number one brand sales increased, and they were not followed by a matchable decrease in the following period. Mm -hmm. So it was a true lift because of the campaign. So in the consumer world, there's case studies out there. It's sometimes hard to get at the numbers, but they're there. And you know, there's so many studies now that show consumers want to buy more that, uh, brands that do good. Some people say they want to, they don't necessarily. But more and more at that point of purchase, they are starting to tr switch especially on an equal price comparison. And I think that's part of the challenge, but more and more people are doing it. And the numbers of people reporting they're likely to purchase is increasing every day. Nielsen just had a study that showed 70% of millennials say they're more likely to purchase from a brand that handles social issues well. Um, the Accenture study I mentioned earlier found that 63% of consumers prefer to buy goods and services from companies that stand for a shared purpose that reflects their personal mm -hmm. values. And then when you th think about employees, employee turnover is costing the U.S. billions of dollars. I've, I've read anywhere, yep. anywhere from $36 billion from a, a Gallup study several years ago to I read today, um, it was $800 billion mm -hmm. in employee turnover. Studies find various studies dependent upon who they are. An American Express one found that 81% of millennials say a successful business needs to have a genuine purpose. A gentleman who is an engagement researcher, Dr. Brad Shuck, found 75% of employees who work for leaders who are compassionate and live with integrity stay there. So people want to see 
the companies they work for have a purpose, have a bigger reason. They're looking for fulfillment. Millennials uh, spent their lives on a treadmill of accomplishments. You're doing this, that, the other thing to get to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And the pot of gold wasn't there, which is why they feel this lack of sense of fulfillment. Right. And a lot of people don't recognize that. Baby boomers created this because they raised millennials in such a tight manner to just be about achievement and productivity. And when you don't get that pot of gold that this productivity was meant to bring you, what do you want? You want fulfillment. And uh, studies I've done for several clients on uh, the ideal employer, we call, we call millennials the Boys and Girl Scouts Club because they were looking for fulfillment. Gen X was, was the, um, the country club generation mm -hmm. because they like perks. And baby boomers were the crew team. They want to be recognized for their contribution. So you take the crew team plus the country club, and guess what? You get Boy and Girl Scouts Club and fulfillment. So in terms of keeping employees, which for many companies is the driving factor behind having a purpose, it can save you a lot of money. Well, and unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. I want to thank you so much for, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs> her name is Ann Barr Thompson, and her new book, Do Good, Embracing Brand Citizenship to Fuel Both Purpose and Profit. And with the holidays here, be sure to buy lots and lots of copies for your family and friends. And thank you. Thank you.